Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, I always appreciate being a part of your day and what a day it is shaping up to be in the commodity markets broadly. We're seeing rally carry forward from the end of last week. In the grain markets, we saw USDA release their prospective plantings and quarterly grain stocks data last Friday. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman here in segment three about those details. We also heard an announcement from Saudi Arabia. OPEC Plus announced on Saturday some changes to oil production has got the crude energy market really rocking and rolling to start the week. Joining us for an update on that market now is Darren Newsom, senior market analyst with Bar Chart. And Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in this crude oil market. Darren, it was practically a free fall for the crude oil market from the Silicon Valley bank collapse until Friday. We saw prices down in the 60s. Well, that's changed, hasn't it? Uh, it certainly has. I mean, if we look at the West Texas intermediate market, you know, we, we saw it, as you said, we, we you know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw it break down to near 64. Uh, and this has been driven by, again, as you mentioned, we've had, you know, investment money just pouring out of uh, crude oil. There was a lot of uncertainty. It was moving over into money market funds, looking over into other market sectors. Uh, and so we saw, you know, the position, the, the long futures position in crude oil get to its smallest since something like late December 2011. So there was just no interest. And then all of a sudden, you know, this weekend, we get hit by what I, you know, what I consider a chaos event or a chaos announcement. Maybe not pure chaos, but certainly something that was unexpected. With OPEC cutting its daily production by what I'm reading, almost 1.7 million barrels per day, uh, and you know, initially, right off the bat. We leave a gap on the daily chart. We see spot month crude rally as much as six dollars, uh, and it you know settled back a little bit over the course of the evening. But I mean, it certainly sets the tone uh, for what we should continue to expect to see this week. Well, and it's that continuation, Darren, that has me so nervous here about crude oil prices. You mentioned that massive long liquidation. We had everybody and their brother getting out of crude oil ahead of these recession fears. Now that they're looking to jump back in from a technical perspective, what price levels are you watching here in the charts? Yeah, you know, it is, what's interesting is, or what's ironic maybe, is I had just done all my monthly analysis where I look at long-term monthly charts, and this is more from an investment point of view. Uh, and, and the long-term trend in crude oil still looked to be down. Uh, we, we closed lower for the month. We went to a new low uh, during March. And so now the price that I'm targeting, let me go over here to the December high of 83.34. Well, that's $20 off its low almost. And then overnight, we got up to 81.69. So I'm still looking at the previous four-month high. That would be a long-term reversal of 83.34. But what I think is going to happen here is that you know, we still got bullish fundamentals, all but the near, all but the spot May contract is inverted or in backwardation in New York terms, uh, meaning we've got bullish long-term supply and demand. We're at that time of year where we start to see new demand for crude oil and oil products in general. So I think there's going to be a draw for some non-commercial money. Now you've got global supplies possibly tightening because of uh, OPEC Plus's announcement. So I think there's a lot of reasons that we could start to see some money come back into crude oil. And if so, you know, then algos could get triggered, you know, whatever what they're watching. But certainly if it goes to a new four month high of that 83.34. Darren, talking new well, four month high prices here in the crude oil market has me thinking back to the start of last summer, 2022. We saw crude oil prices rally tremendously, well up over $100 put inflation back in the driver's seat as we've got a Fed trying to weigh what decisions they're going to make with the Federal Reserve going forward. How much will higher oil prices impact that inflation discussion? I mean, it, it, it could. I mean, it, right now, you know, if we look at Fed fund future spreads, that's always so much fun to say. If we look Fed fund forward curve, uh, you know, it's telling us to expect some possible 
decrease in interest rates in uh, starting in June. So, I mean, we've got that sitting out there on the horizon. We've got a long term, you know, speaking of long term trends, we've got the U.S. dollar in long term in a long term downtrend. We've got, you know, t uh, Treasury futures prices starting to trend higher. We've got, uh, you know, we've got uptrends going in in all the U.S. stock indexes. So, you know, what it's building here is all of a sudden we could be switching gears from where we were looking at inflation, possibly decreasing, possibly going away. Now we've got all this. Now we've got all this ammunition here to start building the argument again that inflation could come back here in 2023. You know, if we've got a supply demand push here in, in energies, possibly if we start to see something happen in the grain, some long term trend changes in grains, the dollar continuing to come down. So I do think it's stuff. I, I do all think the Fed's going to have to take all of this into account. But, you know, if it just follows its, you know, what it's what it's been looking at over the past number of years, there is a chance that we still see some interest rate decreases later this year. All right, Darren, you mentioned that long term downtrend here in the dollar. We saw the U.S. dollar value become a key topic of conversation last summer. You mentioned that drop is still in place. What are you watching here for for future moves in the dollar? What you know, we've, we've seen a little bit of a bounce, uh, you know, again in March. And so what I'm looking at now is the February low of 100.82, 100.82. We get through that. I think we could I think we could we should extend this thing down below 100 with the next target at 99.11. So I still think there's some downside play to this thing. I think by the time we get to late 2023, we're going to be below 100. Most likely we could be below 99 as well. But again, it all depends on what some of these outside markets do. Right now, it looks like we're losing some interest in the dollar. We're going, you know, money's going other places. It's going to other global currencies. Uh, and I think it's going to continue to put pressure on the dollar. But I'm watching that Feb low again of 100.82. All right, Darren, we've talked about the interplay between the outside markets and the commodity markets. You mentioned the equities have seen some volatility in recent weeks. I'm curious, as we go out forward, is there room for investors in the equities to pull into the commodities? Is there any reason they'd want to be doing that in the coming weeks? Yeah, there's, I mean, because we, we're still looking at bullish fundamentals in a lot of these commodity markets. We look at future spreads and so on. So, I mean, that is a draw. Uh, we, then as we look at the, as we look at the commitment to traders reports, you know, there's been a consistent outflow of money, despite the fact that, you know, these same markets have had bullish fundamentals for quite some time. It is an old story. And now as we go forward, and I know you're going to talk to Arlen about uh, acreage and all of this sort of thing, but we knew from September to February that, that corn was going to see increased acres and weather uh, looked like it was improving. So there, the idea is we're going to see better production here in the United States. So while fundamentally we could see some investment money come in, given the fact that the U.S. indexes are, are you know, stock indexes are all moving higher, uh, all showing long-term uptrends. I think it's going to, I think it's going to dampen any enthusiasm to move a bunch of money for long-term into commodities. It's going to come, it's going to come short in short bursts. You know, we're going to see these things like what we're seeing in crude oil, but I don't know that long-term investment money is going back in. I think it's going to continue to move towards, uh, towards equities. All right. We'll be watching that managed money dance around in these different market spaces. This was Darren Newsom, serves as the senior market analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, as always, thanks for joining us today. Thanks again for, for having me on the conversation, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather about the coming blizzard again in the northern Great Plains. Stay here for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. 
Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's now time to turn our focus to the weather. We're going to look ahead to what's coming this week. But before we do, we want to look back. The tail end of this past week saw devastation across parts of the country due to a severe weather outbreak. Joining us now for this segment is John Baranek, meteorologist at DTN Weather. And John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah. Good to talk with you here, Mike. Uh, you're not kidding about what happened last week. Uh, we saw kind of our, our first really big, widespread, severe weather event uh, of the season. And it's really the largest I've, I was going back to probably mid-June of last year uh, in terms of kind of how widespread and how many reports we got out of it. Um, in terms of how widespread it was, I mean, basically, uh, we saw we saw severe reports from um uh, Iowa down through Arkansas, Northeast Texas, all the way to the East Coast. Um, we, right as we're talking right now, they've had uh, over 120 reports of tornadoes out of the whole thing. Some of them were quite devastating. I think a lot of people heard about what happened in in Little Rock and and at a concert venue in Illinois. There was also another kind of couple of roof collapses and, and injuries and, and some deaths there in Indiana. So um, that was kind of widespread, but it wasn't just the tornadoes. We had large hail across a lot of areas, widespread wind damage um, that went really from Friday morning all the way through Saturday afternoon. Absolutely. I mean, just incredible images coming out of that. And John, I did see some severe weather spreading over Oklahoma and Texas. Any chance that those folks suffering from that severe drought caught any moisture from that rainfall? They didn't. So we saw another little kind of flare up over the weekend, really, really Sunday um, afternoon across North Texas. They did see some hail out of that. Saw some pretty decent rain as well, but that was just east of all where all the drought areas have been. And you know, it's just amazing. We've been in such an active pattern and it doesn't really seem to matter for anybody out there from Western Kansas through West Texas. Um, they just get bypassed and get the winds instead. So they had some pretty dramatic uh, wind gusts out there and lots of reports of blowing dust and, and some increased wildfires and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I mean, that was 
last week was was big for that. And it looks like this week's going to be big for that as well. It is, John. It's another active week, at least this first half of it as it's setting up. You mentioned those folks in the panhandle can't seem to catch any moisture when it comes around. And then in the northern plains, they can't seem to stop catching moisture. John, we've got another blizzard warning here in the Dakotas today and tomorrow. Fill us in. What's going to happen with this coming storm? Yeah, and this one's going to be bigger than the last one. So uh, we saw some pretty heavy snowfall from the last uh, from last weekend's uh, storm. It was kind of 8 to 10, 8 to 12 inches of snow from South Dakota through the UP of Michigan. This one's going to be a little bit bigger than that. So it's building off in the in the Rockies right now. should move off into the plains here tomorrow. And we're going to see a, a big response in terms of heavy snowfall developing for Wyoming and South Dakota here today and tonight kind of moving its way northeast through the Dakotas and northwest Minnesota into Ontario, Canada here for tomorrow and Wednesday. And um, instead of, you know, kind of 8 to 12 inches, we're kind of looking at 12 to 24 inches. So a good one to two feet uh, of snow. Um, and we're also looking at very strong winds um, developing with this as well. A lot of 50 plus mile an hour wind gusts, either while the snow is falling or even on Wednesday after the snow's finished, um, it could be creating ground blizzard conditions. Um, so it's, it's, it's one heck of a snowstorm here for the Northern Plains. It is, John. And of course, calving season continues for many of those producers in the Northern Great Plains. After this, this secondary bump of snow, one to two feet of snow comes down across the Dakotas, looking out a little bit longer term. John, when is the snow cover going to start to break? You know, it, it's, you know, we're getting in, into a good chunk of April here. And, you know, after the snowstorm, um, temperatures are going to be cooler for a few days. We're, we might even see some uh, lows below zero in a couple of these, which is really hard to do this time of year. Um, but after that, and by the time we get to this weekend, there are some signs here that we're going to see a big turnaround in, uh, in the conditions uh, going forward. First, before we talk about that, though, I want to just keep our eyes on this system. Uh, moving through because not only the, the big snowstorm here across the northern plains but we're going to have another round of significant severe weather across the middle of the country uh tuesday and wednesday i don't want to get this uh, lost in the snow cover uh for that just yet um but yes i mean we're, we're looking at severe weather here from iowa down to northeast texas again here for tomorrow and tomorrow night and then moving through the midwest uh there on wednesday it looks like another round of of uh, significant severe we could be talking about tornadoes again um, it doesn't set up exactly like the one uh, late last week. Um, I don't think we'll see that much uh, severe weather out of it. Um, but, you know, there's some potential there for some really strong tornadoes, uh, lots of wind gusts out of it as well. All right, John, let's talk through the time. We've got the snow blizzard impact Monday night into Tuesday, and then that severe weather threat amplifies Tuesday for Tuesday, Wednesday across the middle part of the country, or does it extend out to Friday? Tuesday, Wednesday, and then it gets to the kind of the northeast on Thursday. There may be something there. But that front um, that kind of moves through is going to get hung up across the south, and we'll see continued showers and thunderstorms down there. We may see some severe weather and continuing uh, through the weekend there closer to the Gulf Coast. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if any of that turns severe, but some heavier rainfall for sure. All right, John. Well, down there across the Delta, the southern parts of the United States, we are starting to see that planting progress begin. I know a lot of farmers up in the Corn Belt are starting to get antsy. As you look out a little longer term, what does your planting outlook look like here for the northern Corn Belt, northern plains? Yeah, so I'm a little bit more optimistic than I had been back in March. So we were looking at some uh, indicators that that kind of suggested that, you know, east of the Rockies, it was going to be chillier through the second half of April, but those indicators are basically gone and models are starting to catch up on kind of a warmer pattern developing here for next week. Uh, we're starting to see kind of uh, upper level ridging and underneath that um, is, is typically some, some warmer air. And it looks like we'll start to see that moving into the Western states and into the plains next week. Um, it may take a little bit of time to get further east through the Corn Belt, but we've been warmer out there anyway. But um, you know, what this does mean is that warmer temperatures look like they're coming to the, the north central U.S., where we have that deep snowpack coming in. Uh, we might see some significant melting going on. Now, of course, you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword. We need to get rid of all the snowpack that's there to get out into the field. But if we get rid of it too quickly, it turns into flooding. And uh, we're kind of past the point where we care about, you know, kind of the flooding. I think for a lot of folks, they, they really want to just get this over with and get started with the season. So, um, you know, this may be kind of a, a boon to them. 
but for those with, you know, in the, in the Red River Valley there uh, between North Dakota and Minnesota, where the, the there's probably a good four to six inches of liquid that need to move out of the system. Um, uh, if we get this warmer weather, like models are starting to suggest, uh, that's going to lead to some pretty significant flooding here for mid and late April. John, I'm glad you brought that up. I've talked to a lot of my friends in the Red River Valley. The concern about flooding is growing. And I'm curious, what other river systems outside of the Red River of the North could have some flooding impact? Is it the Missouri that you're keeping an eye on this year? Uh, the, the Missouri, the upper Mississippi, even the lower Mississippi. I mean, we've, we've had a whole bunch of rainfall across the Ohio Valley, um, across the south. But, you know, we've been kind of locked into some snowfall across the northern Mississippi Valley. A lot of that's going to get uh, likely released here. Uh, we're starting to see uh, those risks of flooding there as well. Um, some of the smaller ones like the James River across the Dakotas, um, uh, the Minnesota River ac across uh, Minnesota, um, also looking at some, some uh, potential for flooding there with all the snowmelt going on. All right, folks, keep an eye on those river levels near you. Could be quite a whipsaw here in levels as we go forward. John, while we've got you on the line, I want to turn our focus to South America. We're watching for that dry season to begin down there in Brazil. What have you heard? Are we getting closer? Uh, we are getting closer. Typically, that comes in the first few days of May, so we're only about a month away. They've only got a month left of their wet season before everything kind of shuts off. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, central Brazil has kind of been inching toward that a little bit quicker than normal. Uh, a lot of the showers have been very isolated and, um, they may get some enhancements this week. There's a system coming up from Argentina that might help out. It's going to be kind of a slow mover across Brazil here this week, but after this thing moves through, it returns back to those isolated showers there. Um, so this is kind of a, a one week reprieve in the, the overall downtrend of the wet season. Uh, for Brazil. All right, John, in Argentina, are we to a point that we can throw the towel in on their corn and soybean crops down there? Yeah, unfortunately, it looks like we are. We've had some pretty decent rainfall down there the last couple of weeks, but crop conditions coming out of Argentina are still absolutely dismal and poor. Um, so the rains have really had no effect on them. So we can basically throw in the towel on that. Um, they, they still end up with some decent rainfall here early this week, but again, it's, it doesn't, doesn't really seem to matter. We're going to have to look toward, uh, the, the winter wheat planting season coming up here later this month and into May and, uh, an eye toward next season. The focus is moving on to the future. John, of course you cover severe weather and all things meteorological at DTN weather. Where can folks go to keep up to speed? Yep, uh, we're talking about it, and we're getting really active about talking about it now, too. Uh, DTNPF.com, that's where you can find me. Fantastic, folks. That's John Moranick, John Baranek, meteorologist there with DTN Weather. And John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Uh, good to talk to you. Same to you, as always. And folks, stay here. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, will be joining us to break down Friday's USDA report. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at this market trade starting off the week, the crude oil market is what is leading us here to the upside as OPEC Plus 
has announced that they are going to be cutting more production. Some analysts think that could push crude oil back towards $100 per barrel. OPEC Plus saying the members will cut output by another 1.16 million barrels per day, more than half that cut coming from Saudi Arabia as it shows its hand in the price manipulation effort. That brings total output cuts since November to 3.66 million barrels per day raising fears of tightness in supplies and speculation that the cartel wants to see prices in the 90 to $100 per barrel range. Now, the move uh, really reflecting a line in the sand between OPEC Plus nations that includes Russia and then have strong ties to China on one side and the West on the other. The cuts coming amid projections that China will import a record quantity of crude this year as it comes out of COVID lockdown and demand in the U.S. could surprise if the economy manages a soft landing. We're seeing hedge funds here really jump in, short covering in this crude market early in the week to try and protect amid the news. And that is spilling over into the grains and oil seeds, giving us a pretty robust start to the week there. With beans and bean oil up moderately, beans 8 to 13 higher, bean oil 150 to 175 points higher. Corn is up 6 to 9 with wheat markets uh, showing the most strength here in grains. Uh, anywhere from about 14 to 20 cents higher across the board. Dollar index down about 26 points, 101.92. That's helping to give us some strength throughout commodities. Livestock trade is a little more mixed. Feeder cattle under pressure with cord prices up moderately here to start the week, while live cattle and lean hogs are mixed around unchanged as well. But overall, a positive start to the week with positive money flow seen throughout most commodities. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The grain markets are continuing to move here this Monday following Friday's release of two major USDA reports. Quarterly grain stocks looking back at grain consumption over the past quarter and planting intentions looking ahead to what farmers might be putting in the ground the 2023 growing season. Joining me for an update this segment is Arlen Suderman. He serves as chief commodities economist with StoneX, keeps close watch on these numbers from Uncle Sam and Arlen. Which of those two reports do you think was the market more keyed into on Friday? Well, I think it was probably more keyed into the acreage survey. Um, that's the easiest one to try to calculate and figure out. Uh, the stocks report, though, was just as much of a factor and is usually the one that has the biggest surprises. Uh, we, we saw surprises for the industry in both of them as we looked at this report uh, that came out on Friday. And in net was generally positive for the grain and oilseed markets overall. Arlen, let's talk about the easy one first. Let's go into prospective plantings data. We're seeing the soybean market continue to rally after starting that rally on Friday. Definitely saw some acreage changes in that prospective plantings report. How did USDA or how does USDA think soybean plantings are going to come in this year? So they're looking for soybean plains to stay about the same at 87.5 million acres, and the trade was expecting an increase in acres. I was expecting about a 1 million acre increase. Um, the trade was expecting almost that much of an increase, about 700,000, 750,000 acres worth of increase. So this keeps things a little bit more snug, particularly when you combine it with the tighter stock situation. 
I still see us overall increasing supplies over the coming year, but not burdensome, not to a burdensome level, just modestly so. And it still does leave us vulnerable if we have any surprise production challenges anywhere in the world. So that's why the market is suddenly much more concerned about soybean supplies now than what they were. And of course, the funds love trading soybeans to the long side or to the ownership side. And so they really grabbed a hold of that data and are trying to buy some more acres to give us a little bit more leeway in case some problems develop that were not anticipated with the weather this year. Well, that makes sense, Arlen. And I'm wondering if they're expecting to see a million, roughly fewer soybean acres than the trade was anticipating. Where are those acres going to go? Are they all going into corn this year? Uh, USDA pegged the corn acres at 92 million, which matched my estimate exactly. Uh, I, and I feel pretty good about that overall as far as planning intentions. I think, though, when you look at the heavy snowpack in the northern plains, you look at the persistent wetness that we're seeing in the mid-south where they need to be planting corn now, you look at some of the areas to the south where they did get corn planted, where it froze and they're having to replant corn, you're looking at the forecast for persistent wetness in the eastern Midwest that's going to narrow the planting windows. I still think we're going to get most of the corn planted, but the risks are a little bit higher than what the market is comfortable with. And so it said, okay, 92 million is what farmers intend, but that number could come down based on this weather forecast. And so we're putting some risk premium back into that market, therefore, as well. Arlen, we did see, or we did see, a big increase in planted acres for wheat this year. We saw a lot of winter wheat go in the ground. Does that bump the soybean planting numbers? Is there likely that we'll see additional second plant soybeans this ground, or is that just going to wait on the economics? Excellent question. And, and a lot of it's going to hinge on how the wheat crop develops as we go through the spring. Do we get some warm weather here into the Midwest as the forecasts are now showing as we get closer to mid-month? That kind of starts to speed the crop up, get it caught up so we can get an earlier wheat harvest. That tends to increase soybean acres. That's one reason I still think there's a good chance we could end up planting another million acres beyond what USDA is indicating. Uh, and there may be some corn acres there that don't get planted, they end up going into soybeans as well. Arlen, now that we've got this planting outlook from the USDA, the trade is really getting into the guts of marketing this 23 crop. Did this planting report change any of the fundamental ways you're looking at these markets into the summer? Well, I think what's important is it's changing the way the market's looking at it. And I want to throw one other uh, ingredient in, and that was the announcement today that OPEC Plus is going to cut output by another 1.16 million barrels per day. That means if you go from November to now, they've cut 3.66 million barrels per day from their output. Uh, and that has many experts, so to speak, on Wall Street talking $100 crude oil being possible by June and maybe even higher than that as we go into the summer. So as we look at the whole inflation concept, inflation has been centered primarily in the wage inflation sector or service sector. It's very heavily dependent upon labor, has been where we've been seeing all of the wage inflation problems and inflation continuing. But that's been largely offset to a great extent in recent months by declining energy prices. So now you bring energy inflation back to the picture, and suddenly Wall Street analysts are saying, Wait, inflation may be more sticky than what we thought. And this is what I've been warning about for months that could happen. And so with inflation more sticky, they're starting to feel more comfortable with a soft landing for the U.S. economy. Suddenly the perception is switching from being focused on recession, that's bad for commodity demand, toward inflation, which tends to drive money toward the commodities as a hedge to protect their portfolios from the risks of inflation eroding their value. So suddenly to start off the week and one day doesn't make a trend, but we had the positive reports on Friday and that impact is being amplified by the funds wanting to put more money into the commodities today. We'll have to see if this trend holds through the week as a hedge against inflation. So suddenly the outlook for the grain and oil seeds is being looked at more through an inflationary mindset or an inflationary lens. And that adds together with the fundamental changes we saw on Friday to give a little bit more positive outlook. 
I would say that I'm not bullish corn and soybeans, but I'm less bearish than what I was. Um, and on, if we talk about wheat, I'm probably even more friendly wheat going forward than what I was a week ago. Arlen, I'm glad you brought up that crude oil issue because Saudi OPEC has said they'd like to see that price of crude stabilize between 90 and $100 a barrel. If they can get it to that point through supply cuts, I've got to imagine that raises the outlook for both ethanol and soy oil over the summer, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And of course, the demand for renewable diesel is going to be limited primarily by the industry's ability to produce it as we go forward. So we're making great strides in that. And of course, to produce it, we have to crush the soybeans to make the oil available. But that's looking very positive going forward. And you mentioned ethanol as well. Uh, the one thing on ethanol that we're watching is, is miles driven by the U.S. driver consuming gasoline. And we've been seeing some positive steps or indicators indicators there that the consumer is getting out and driving more here in recent weeks. And uh, that's good for ethanol needed to blend into that gasoline. All right, Arlen. Well, let's talk about how that grind for both ethanol and soy has been over this past quarter. Quarterly grain stocks showed corn stocks in position at 7.4 billion bushels, a little tighter than we saw at this time last year. Where did that come in versus your expectations? That came in almost exactly where I expected, as, and largely it's because I anticipate that USDA has been understating its feed usage estimates. It cut feed usage too far this year, I felt, and so I think we'll see a little bit of rebound. This is not going to be a major market mover when it just feed usage, but I do think it'll help, uh, help tighten up the balance sheet a little bit. Uh, USDA, I think, will eventually have to add another 40 to 50 million bushels to its feed usage number for corn. Arlen, I've got an interesting question here on the soybean note in the quarterly grain stocks. They note that soybeans stored in all positions were 1.69 billion bushels overall, much tighter than it was last year. But most farmers, or at least on-farm sales, are roughly the same as they were last year. Off-farm stocks are down 21%. Why are we seeing so many more off-farm stocks sold in the soybean market? Well, you know, we're having a change in marketplace, and uh, the farmer right now is changing his selling habits, and that's moving stuff into the commercial hands, and once you move it into the commercial hands, it tends to be tighter held, and then the market has to work with the spreads and the basis in order to free it up. Uh, I think there's been some real question of what those soybean stocks actually are, and USDA's number that came out on Friday would suggest that USDA overstated the size of last year's crop. Now, it hates to make adjustments to previous year's production estimates after January until we get to the following September when everyone's focused on the next crop, and then it'll quietly make an adjustment to the previous year's production estimates. And I anticipate at that point we'll see a reduction in last year's production, kind of confirming some of the tighter stocks out there that the basis market would indicate uh, has been the case out there for us this year. On that uh, that soybean demand here over this past quarter, Arlen, how much of it has been for oil? Is that still a substantial driver of crush? Yeah, it kind of ebbs and flows on it. Uh, there have been times uh, this winter when we had some problems with crush that it really became, and we had, and those same weather problems created problems with production of renewable diesel as well. So that pushed us more toward tightening up supplies of meal, and meal became the driver. But I think now as we go into the spring, we're getting things going. Weather is less of a factor. We're going to be moving back toward oil being more of a driver, probably for much of the rest rest of the year. All right, folks, continue to keep an eye on those products in this global market. Those can share a lot of information on these markets. We've been talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up here when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. 
In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st, unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, 
powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, if you are in the world of agriculture, you're probably aware that 2023 is a farm bill year. It is that time we'll update that five-year piece of legislation. The last one was written in 2018. Now, so far, the farm bill discussions in both the House and Senate Ag Committees have been fairly congenial. Most of the members have gotten together. Several lines in the sand have been sketched out so far, but the conversations are proceeding more or less as expected expected in D.C. However, some cracks between the two parties are starting to show. Last Thursday at a House Appropriations Subcommittee hearing, so not even the Ag Department, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack was called in to testify, and the conversation got a little testy about the Commodity Credit Corporation. This is the $30 billion pot of money. It effectively functions as USDA's bank or reserve fund, and from their USDA in the past has had the prerogative to use that money in ways that still fit the definition of the Commodity Credit Corp, but they had a lot of autonomy in making those choices. And back in October, a number of legislators grew concerned that USDA had taken about $3.1 billion, about 10% of the Commodity Credit Corp's total assets, and they have put it into the Climate Smart Partnerships Fund, the idea to look for and fund ways to bring climate smart agriculture to the fore. And Republican House members weren't thrilled with that move of money from the House, uh, excuse me, from the Commodity Credit Corporation. Rep. Andy Harris, a Republican of Maryland, said, quote, USDA's access to these funds should be removed again. He says, if you thought it was such an important program, my opinion, you should have come to Congress and asked to spend on it. He and Secretary Vilsack had a contentious six-minute back and forth. They interrupted one another, and at one point, uh, Representative Harris told <laughs> Secretary Vilsack, quote, I'll say the word question mark when it's your turn to talk. And it was a bit contentious. No doubt we are going to be hearing a lot more news over this Commodity Credit Corp and how the USDA has access to that money as these farm bill negotiations continue to heat up. But Thursday was a very busy day on Capitol Hill, particularly in the House of Representatives. Not only did Secretary Vilsack testify in front of the House Appropriations Committee, the full House passed a massive energy bill. This was a huge piece of legislation. We're still kind of sorting through the details. It has not gone before the Senate as of yet. But one of the components that I felt was interesting to this energy bill, remember this is a massive piece of legislation, it passed the House 407 to 26, 223 Republicans and 184 Democrats signed off on this piece of legislation in the House, certainly bipartisan, but it had a very interesting amendment. This uh, amendment was inserted into the bill by Representative Randy Feenstra, a Republican from Iowa, and the amendment said this, quote, China must be banned from buying American farmland suitable for ethanol and biodiesel production. End quote. That bill was, or that amendment was passed along with this House energy bill. Now, the Senate has not seen a take up of this piece of legislation. They also have not talked much about the, the issue of Chinese ownership of U.S. farmland. This is a contentious topic. A number of state issues across the country are working on negotiating how it works for foreigners to own farmland in the United States. We've seen several states take up bills. No doubt we'll continue to see Uncle Sam work on this issue at the federal level as well as this moves forward. Now, that was from the House Energy Bill. As I mentioned, passed the House, not yet passed the Senate, not yet law. However, we did see some important energy news coming from the USDA on Friday. It was announced that rural small businesses and farmers will be able to apply for a billion dollars in grants. Now, these grants must be used in financing clean energy production on your business or farm. This money is coming from the Inflation Reduction Act, that massive spending bill that was passed in the summer of 2021, and it will be distributed through the USDA's Rural Energy for America program. That's that REAP program that USDA has run. We're still trying to get the details on how quickly this money will be moving out of Washington, D.C., but USDA notes that this grant money can be used to install renewable energy systems. So they're targeting solar panels, wind turbines, and biomass projects first. And biomass, we can think of digesters, anaerobic, aerobic digesters that turn that manure into renewable biogas 
or to make energy efficient improvements. So you could use this grant also to better weatherproof facilities, install, uh, you know, who knows, geothermal may be included in that, anything that can make you more energy efficient on the farm. So tech, check out the REAP uh, department. You can go online, uh, USDA REAP, to learn more and follow the release of the details on this $1 billion in funding for clean energy uh, expansion on your farm. Before we go, we're going to take another look at the Russian grain trade. Here in the past several weeks, we've seen huge announcements from some of the global grain traders saying they are exiting that market. Last week, we heard from both Cargill and Viterra, two of the four largest grain trading companies. As of July 1st, they will be out of the Russian grain export market. Well, on April 3rd, early Monday, it was announced that Louis Dreyfus, the large French, ex uh, excuse me, grain export, giant is also going to stop exporting Russian grain beginning July 1st. All of these companies say that, quote, grain export challenges continue to increase in the country, and they look to address options for the transfer of new owners for its existing Russian businesses and grain assets. So Louis Dreyfus will be out of the Russian grain business. As I mentioned, Viterra last week said they will be exiting the grain business in Russia. However, it was announced soon after that while Viterra proper will be exiting Russia entirely, they are looking to spin off the internal Russian traders as their own independent grain company inside the company of Russia. Now, those details have not been announced formally as of yet, but that is what Viterra plans to do. Before we let you go for the day, we've got one other piece of news. It is a story that we have been tracking and will continue tracking for the remainder of the year, and that's the progress in Brazil. Their ag industry continues to grow, and their new president, Ignacio Lula da Silva, said earlier today he believes the economy will grow, quote, more than pessimists think, noting that he will be releasing a new budget and some big expansions of public-private partnerships to drive growth across Brazil. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Tomorrow, we'll talk policy with Josh Baitke of Farm Progress. Hopefully, we'll see you then. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.